NBA on NBC. What is up, everybody? This is Jim Milak, and you're listening to Pot of Fame, the podcast where we break down former athletes and decide whether or not they should get a call to the hall. On today's special podcast, we are celebrating our one-year anniversary of Pot of Fame. Yes, it has been a full year since we released our very first episode on Ben Wallace back on July 12, 2020. And you know what a year it's been. And and I started this podcast um, not knowing how long um, it would go for, not sure if um, you know if it, it would it would find a, a niche audience and people would want to listen. And all I can say is that I got to thank all, all all the listeners out there. I've been um, honestly, I've been humbled and um, sincerely touched by the number of people that listen to this podcast a day. Um, the number of people that follow us on Twitter. Uh, I, I get so many nice comments, emails, tweets back, mostly nice tweets back. Um, and I, I just really enjoy engaging with everyone that listens. And um, I, I definitely plan to run this now. I, I, I was going to give it a year and see how it went. Um, it exceeded expectations, to be honest. And I will continue doing this for the foreseeable future. I don't see me stopping. And trust me, we have enough players, I think, to cover you know the, the, the rest of time, really. We, there's so many players left to do and new ones retiring by the year. Um, so I don't think we're ever going to get stale here. I always want to continue to try to elevate this podcast and try new things out. So I think in the next year, we're going to try to get some more former players on, um, switch some things up a bit, but um, we'll always consistently have the the normal episodes where we are breaking down uh, players. But on today's anniversary episode, I'm not going to do a player. I actually uh, opened up a mailbag for the first time. And again, some of these like mailbags, like, hey, ask me any questions about the Hall of Fame, Rushmore's, things like that. Um, the question, like, I just expected people to, you know, send me a tweet me a question or email me a question, just a question. But and some people did, but but others wrote very lengthy um, emails, which I will read because uh, they're honest. I honestly, I was sincerely touched by some of these. Uh, I've extremely nice fans, apparently, and. Uh, these are these are not people I, I knew before I started this podcast. These are people that started listening. So um, excited to get through all of those. Before we do though, again, I started this podcast a year ago. Uh, when when I started, I, you know, we track metrics here, of course. In the very beginning, you know, episodes would maybe get 15, 20, 25 listeners, at least in that first week over time, they grow. Um but if you looked at like where the listeners were from, they were, they were all from Chicago, basically. It's, it was like my friends and family. It was like 80% of the people listening were like from the Chicagoland area. Uh, but, but just how much this podcast has evolved over the year, now only about 24% of my audience is in Illinois, um, which means the, the rest of it is people from all over the country. We actually have listeners in 43 states today. Uh, 45 countries, which is awesome. Shout out to all the people listening abroad. Um, every continent except uh, Antarctica is covered. So we're going to have to get someone at those base camps in Antarctica to put on a podcast so we can check them off the list. But we have hundreds of cities and towns across the, the world. And it's just super neat to see where people are listening in. Uh, and also, I, I get a lot of recommendations on episodes. And I promise you all, we will get to as many of these as we can, if not probably all of them. I mean, if someone throws out a name, if someone thinks that that person is a Hall of Fame case, to me, that means that we should do an episode. Uh, this is the 63rd episode of the podcast today, if you include all these specials and tribute pods, which is great. And just kind of throw it out there, the top five most downloaded episodes of the podcast over the last year, heavy in basketball, so maybe I should do more basketball, but... Ben Wallace is the most downloaded uh, podcast we have, which was our first episode. Uh, Horace Grant's episode with Sam Smith was our second most uh, downloaded, as well as Tony Kukoc, number third most downloaded. Glenn Rice um, was number four downloaded. And then Kurt Schilling was the only non-basketball episode in that top five. Um, that is the fifth most downloaded episode. Now, those five players, uh, two of them are in the Hall of Fame, actually. 
Uh, I did Ben Wallace, of course, fourth last July. I did Tony Kukoc earlier this year, and both of them just got in the most recent Basketball Hall of Fame class. And I, with when I when we did those pods, I said both of them were Hall of Famers. So two for two there. Feel good about that. But but that's kind of you know where the pods come. And, and again, this is not going away anytime soon. The again, we now have thousands of people listen to this, and it's, it's just it's super neat. Um, to see the numbers grow, to see the fan base grow, and to see the the reach of the podcast grow. And I only imagine it'll continue to grow um, even faster at this point, uh, just because there's more people listening in every week. So with all that out of the way, I do want to get to the mailbag. And I do apologize if my voice sounds a little hoarse. I, 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 <laughs> I want to do this on Friday. I did not. It is Sunday night. Actually, the NBA Finals is about to start. I was at a wedding this weekend. I am I'm I'm pretty I'm pretty beat down. I'm not gonna lie. It was a great wedding. Um, really fun. It was on indie, uh, but did not get as much sleep as I had planned. So, um, you know, I had the prep for the episode done already. Uh, but if my voice is a little less upbeat, uh, I blame uh, Katie Taggart's wedding. So um, that's what I'm blaming. If 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 I sound a little off tonight. Uh, but I'll get to the mailbags now. I, I picked out five questions. And again, some of you just asked questions, which is what I asked. Other you, other you, other people wrote like mini novels, which I loved. So appreciate those. I really do. And, and I'll read all these today. But I picked five of them. I thought they were kind of the best questions. There was some duplicates, believe it or not, um, in the mailbag. Um, so if, if you're like, hey, you didn't read my question well, um, I thought it was at least similar enough to another question I got that I didn't want to cover both. So here are the top five mailbag questions. Again, thank you for saying those. And I will definitely do this again because I had a lot of fun reading uh, everyone's emails and, and tweets, DMs um, of questions you want me to answer. Uh, so uh, again, thanks for joining our one-year anniversary podcast episode. And I'm going to go to the mailbag now. All right. So our, our first of five mailbag questions, and I try to do a mix of uh, pick out football, basketball, baseball, just so there's a good variety here. Um, but this first one is a basketball question. It comes from a listener, Luke. That's I'm not going to do last names, just Luke. Um, been listening for a while and love the show. You build Rushmore's a lot. What is your point guard Mount Rushmore? Um, all right. So, you know, Luke, good question. Um, I love building Rushmore's. I do it on the show all the time and, and I'm glad I got a few of those throughout here. Point guard Rushmore. Uh, I don't think it's that tough to be honest, at least for me, um, immediately. Like when I hear that there's two names that have to be on there. One of them's not going to be surprising. One might be kind of surprising, but it shouldn't be. I, I think a lot of people actually would disagree with me on this, but it really shouldn't be surprising. Number one's Magic Johnson. It's a no-brainer. Uh, I mean, he's one of the top five NBA players of all time. So he's going to be on the uh, point guard Rushmore. Uh, probably the most one of the, the most exciting point guard of all time in terms of uh, his passing abilities. He, he was like a wizard on the court. And his highlights from the 80s hold up today. There, there still hasn't been someone who is as exciting at the point guard position as Magic Johnson in terms of um, the way he delivered the basketball to his teammates. And he had a lot of great teammates in LA, but of course he delivered those five NBA championships. He had a lot of different memorable moments. And the first thing that comes to my mind, of course, is that 42.15 board, seven assists game when he had to fill in for Kareem in the finals. I believe that was his rookie year, uh, but he did a, incredible things. His career, of course, was cut short. But he dominated him and Larry dominated the 80s. And he's definitely on my Rushmore. I don't hesitate. I also doesn't don't hesitate with John Stockton. And, and a lot of people are gonna leave John Stockton off off their off their Rushmore. I I don't get it. I, the guy leads in in in, in NBA history. He's the all-time leader in assists and steals. I believe points, rebounds, assists, steals, blocks are the five main categories. He is the all-time record holder in two of the five categories. 
the fact that you can't say he's one of the top four point guards of all time with that, I don't know what else he was supposed to do. He had multiple seasons with over 14 assists a game, which is ridiculous. He holds the record for most assists um, average in a season. You know, him and Carmel alone were an ultimate two-man team that, again, eventually got to back-to-back finals in 97-98, of course. Lost to Jordan and the Bulls both times, and that was at the end of Stockton's career. But early Stockton, I mean, he's on the dream team. He actually won two uh, Olympic gold medals. Uh, he won 92 and 96. Uh, he did everything in the NBA, played forever. The only thing he didn't do was win a finals. Um, that, that's the big knock against Stockton. It's what everyone else on my Rushmore um, has. So he is left out there. But he is an automatic just because all-time assists, all-time steals. You can't talk me out of that. Um, number three is pretty easy, too. Like, number four is maybe the only controversy or, or like, one I, I thought about a little bit more. Number three is Oscar Robinson. I'm not leaving Oscar Robinson off the, the Rushmore of point guards. He's a top probably 10 to 12 player of all time. He, of course, averaged a triple-double famously in the 60s. I believe it was like 30 points, 12 boards, 11 assists. Uh, I thought that was never going to be done again until Russell Westbrook just makes it common now. Uh, but but growing up, that was always the stat. Like, who averaged a triple-double for a whole season? Oscar Robinson, you're like, what? Like, how is that possible? I grew up in the 90s. Point guards were not grabbing anywhere near 10 boards a game. Russ, of course, is in a different kind of animal and he just, he's a monster on the boards. He's, he's, he's a freak. And I think Russ is actually underappreciated by today's NBA community. Uh, I, I always hear he's hunting, but like, <laughs> you know how many NBA players hunt for stats and don't get near what he puts up. So that's a whole different thing. I'm not putting Russ on my rush more either. Just, um, I, I don't appreciate the Russ slander. I see sometimes no one plays harder than that guy, but yeah, Oscar Robinson's um, number three. And, and he, he won a championship too with Milwaukee, who again is playing in the finals right now. So um, he won when him and Kareem paired up. Um, so Oscar's three and then four again. I don't think this is that crazy. Steph Curry, it, it it's got to be Steph Curry's the best three point shooter of all time, three time NBA championship winner, two time MVP at the point guard position. Um, he's he this year. I thought he was kind of phasing out or getting old. He had like one of his best seasons, if not his best season. Um, he's ever had. There's the Warriors weren't that good this year. Uh, Steph Curry. It, it was when it's all said and done. We'll see what happens. We'll see if Warriors have one more run in them. But I mean, Curry could realistically retire as possibly the second best point guard of all time, maybe to Magic Johnson. Like he really could. He has the potential still. Determines what the next five to six years look like. But there's not a better shooter in NBA history than Steph Curry. So I know it's a different type of point guard. Stockton's distributor. Um, Magic's a distributor. Oscar is a distributor. But Curry kind of is this, I guess, the next evolution of the point guard, right? The score first point guard, and he's the best to do it so far. And it'll be hard for someone to surpass him one day. If you look at his three-point numbers, it's, it's going to be very hard even with the way the game's trending to have another Steph Curry out there, he just lights out. Uh, his assist numbers are never going to get near these other guys, but that's not his role. He's the primary scorer, and he does it pretty much better than anyone else. And he's been one of the bigger names last 10 years of basketball. So Steph Curry rounds up my Rushmore. So again, my Rushmore is immediately, I think Magic Johnson Stockton, Oscar Robinson is not far behind. And then Steph Curry is pretty easy too. Like people are talking about, you know, Chris Paul, if he wins the finals, is he is he on Rushmore now, or is he a top four guy? Or he made the finals now he's a top four guy. Like I, Chris Paul's great. I think he's probably a top five, six point guard of all time. But in terms of the all time greats, championship wise, he's nowhere near the the first three I talked to, or three of the four I talked about. Um, he hasn't won one yet. Win one, and then we're we'll seeing then. Again, Stockton, I just, the all-time stuff, like I can't, I can't look past that. And Paul, even though he looks like he's going to be able to play for a few more years here, uh, he's not going to catch Stockton. So um, people like Chris Paul, I mean, Bob Cousy, Walt Frazier, there, there's some Isaiah Thomas. Oh my gosh. I, I there's some really great point guards here. So it's, it's, it's a hard, it's hard to make it, but at the same time, 
I'm not going to lose sleep over my picks. I don't think I'm second guessing myself. I think that's a, a hard four locked in for the point guard Rushmore. So thanks Luke for that question. All right. Next question. This is one of the longer ones that I thought was extremely nice. <clears throat> All right. Uh, dear Jim, uh, I love the podcast discovered it around the new year and have been hooked ever since. Thank you for the incredible content, research, entertainment, etc. I would love to know your Mount Rushmore at center field. I think it's one of the most loaded positions in the game's history. Uh, Tommy, I would agree with you. Uh, with seven or eight guys, Oscar Charleston, Charleston was apparently that good, having a legitimate argument. I don't know how many questions you're planning on answering, but I'd also love to hear. Okay. You also asked me about, a, this is one of the duplicates, the Mount Rushmore for point guards. So I just answered that. You actually call out Chris Paul is challenging. I kind of just said he wasn't for me. So sorry. But yeah, I answered that part already for you. Really looking forward to this episode. And again, thanks so much for all the work you do in making this incredible podcast happen. Best Tommy. P.S. July 12th is my birthday. If that helps my chances of getting a question or two answered. Tommy, happy birthday, first of all. Um, and th thanks for thanks for writing in um, for, for your, I guess, your birthday pod here. This is, this is a great question. Uh, I, the Rushmore for center field is a great, and you're, you're dead on buddy. It is stacked. Um, I had a lot of fun kind of digging this up and, and this is just like, you're right. It's seven or eight guys. It's Oscar, um, Charleston. It's of course, you know, you think immediately Mickey Mantle, Joe DiMaggio, Tri speaker, Mike Trout now, uh, Ken Griffey Jr., Ty Cobb, Willie Mays, like loaded. So I think that's eight guys. So you're dead on with the eight guys. Um, so this was super tough. I actually went through all eight of those players' resumes, looking through it. Um, like the like the basketball rush more, though, there was kind of immediate players that came to mind, like they have to be on it. And after doing the research, I was dead on on that. But three of them stuck out. The fourth spot was super tough. I spent way too long. I actually talked to a few, uh, a few, a few buddies about this too to get their takes. But the, the three that actually, um, I, I just can't, they, they can't have a center fielder rush more without them are Willie Mays, Ty Cobb, and Mickey Mantle. And, and the reason why you can't not have these guys on the center field rush more is because these are three of the most maybe iconic players in MLB history. I mean, Willie Mays might be, it's him or Babe Ruth probably for the best player of all time. Uh, so he's going to be on here. I mean, offensively, one of the best players of all time. Defensively, maybe the best center fielder of all time. People might say Andrew Jones, but he won the 12 gold gloves there. He, of course, has the famous catch where he's like 440 feet out because the polo grounds is ridiculous dimensions. But Willie Mays is just... <laughs> let, me read, let me read some numbers. Um, his war, his career war is 156.1, Okay. The average Hall of Fame center fielder's war is 71.9. So if you split his career in two, he's, pre, he's two Hall of Fame players. Okay. Two-time MVP, 24-time All-Star. I said 12-time Gold Glover, batting title, 54 World Series, six most in history in MVP shares. So six most MVP votes in history. You know, over 3,000 hits, 660 home runs. Uh, he's like top 10 in all these big categories, top 10 in runs scored, home runs, just under 2,000 RBIs, 338 stolen bases. So he had the power and the speed and career slash line of 301, 384, 557, with a 155 OPS plus. He led the league in runs twice, hits once, triples three times, home runs four times, stolen bases four times, on base percentage twice, slugging percentage five times, OPS five times. OPS plus six times. Uh, most gold gloves by an outfielder. He's tied with Roberto Clemente with 12 for most of all time. I mean, he's just all around, right? Defense, offense, the best the best player in MLB history. So as a shoo-in, I've assigned Willie Mays ball. He's been one of my favorite players since I was a kid. Um, so he's a no-brainer. Ty Cobb, also an absolute no-brainer. 151.5 uh, war. I mean, these wars are dumb, right? That's six all time. Uh, him and Pete Rose are the only ones over 4,000 hits. He's first all time in career batting average with a 366 career batting average. He's second all time in runs with 2,000, 
245, ninth all-time in RBIs with 1,944, fourth all-time in stolen bases with 897, also his fourth all-time in doubles with 724, and second all-time in triples, 295, and that's in MLB history. He won the batting title 12 times. <laughs> he also led the le- <laughs> he led the league in OPS plus 12 times, OPS 10 times, stolen bases six times, RBIs four times, triples four times, doubles three times, hits eight times, runs five times. He won the triple crown in 1909. Just want to call this out because it's how different the game is. So he won the triple crown for most home runs, RBIs, batting average with nine home runs, 170 RBIs, 377 batting average. That year, he also led the league in runs, hits, steals, like eight other categories. He's also second all-time in outfield assists. Went to three World Series from 1907 to 1909, lost all three. Um, Again, two different Hall of Fame careers here. I mean, I don't know what else to really say. Your slash lines, 366, 433, 512. The best, probably the best dead ball air player. Um, You know, before Ruth came along, he's probably like the guy in MLB history. Like before Ruth came, like who's the best player the first 50, 40 years of the MLB? It's Ty Cobb. Um, At least the best hitter. You might say Cy Young or Walter Johnson, but Ty Cobb um, by far. So he's easy. Cobb Mays. You just need the last name. The third's also a last name. Mantle. Mickey Mantle. So his numbers aren't as off the charts as Cobb and Mays, but few are. But when I think of a center fielder, Mantle might sneak in my mind, honestly, before Mays. Um, It might be the Yankees thing. It might be that the Yankees just, when you look at like how many World Series they played in it's ridiculous early on mantle played in 12 world series in 18 years okay that's super dumb he won seven so he won seven world series i think that's probably why i think of him more willie mays only won one still managed to hit 536 home runs in his career that had 298 for his career eighth all-time in career walks 110 war he won the mvp award three times was runner-up three times 20-time all-star uh, he won a batting title, gold glove. So he got hurt during his career. He was really quick, really great in center field, but he started to have injuries and his center field play kind of fell off a little bit, but he did lead the league in home runs four times. And when he was, when he had speed, he led the leagues in triples once. Um, OPS plus eight times, runs five times, walks five times. So Manto is just, in terms of like an icon of baseball, I think he's probably one of the maybe four most famous baseball players of all time. He's probably in Rushmore famous baseball players. New York helps a lot. Being in 12 World Series helps a lot. Uh, but Mickey Mantle is a shoo-in for me at center field. Now, my fourth spot is where it gets tough. I named all those players before. Um, all of them, honestly, deserving here. I, I actually had a name down. I wrote out what I was going to say about him, and then I flipped it the last second. People might hate on me for flipping it, but originally I picked Joe DiMaggio. Easily could have been the pick. Three-time MVP, only played 13 seasons because he went to go fight the Nazis in World War II during his peak seasons from 28 to 30. Still collected a 79.2 war in 13 seasons, 361 homers. Slash line's ridiculous, 325, 398, 579. Three to like monster, right? 56 game hitting streak. Joe DiMaggio, one, again, one of those iconic names. Won nine World Series. Sorry, Mantle, nine. Um, was the center fielder right before Mantle. So Joe DiMaggio was my guy, was ready for it. And then, and then I had to do it. I had to be like, well, Mike Trout's in the conversation already. And the reason I thought of Mike Trout is because Joe DiMaggio only played 13 years. Like, okay, well, Mike Trout's 10 and a half years in. Let's see how he compares to Joe, Joe DiMaggio. When I look at that, and he's, you know, two and a half seasons less than Joe right now, and he's been injured a couple of times. And honestly, he, he already kind of has a better career than Joe DiMaggio. I know World Series, to me, baseball players, is not like NBA championships. Um, 
if someone has nine NBA championships and they're like the best player in the NBA team, that's different than someone winning a world series. So it's just, it's like football too. It's, it's, it's such a team sport. there's so many players involved baseball, so many things involved. So it's great, but I don't take that is it does not as big a deal to me. So that's why this is going to be very controversial because I'm picking someone, you know, Mike Trout to replace him who has like no posting success whatsoever, never is in it, but might be one of the, well, by the time he retires, one of the top four or five players of all time. If injuries don't take over his crew, cause it's starting to look rough. He's starting to miss a lot. He's making me worried, but in 10 and a half seasons already, Mike Trout already has three MVP awards. It's been in nine all-star games. He has 310 home runs. 305 batting average, 418 uh, on base percentage, 573 slugging percentage with a career 176 OPS plus, which is ridiculous. And he's led the league in run and runs scored four times already. RBIs once, stolen bases once. He has two and three steals. That's the big difference between him and Joe. But the thing that really stands out with Mike Trout on his war is already Hall of Fame worthy. Um, he could retire today and, and be in the Hall of Fame with how high his war is. Um, but the thing that made me switch is the MVP shares. And by the way, Trout's war is 75.9, which is already above the average Hall of Fame center fielder. But the thing about Trout is he's only played 10 and a half years and he's already fifth most in MVP shares in MLB history. And he has a lot of time left. Only Barry Bonds, Stan the Man, Albert Pujols, and Ted Williams are ahead of him. That's it. By the time he retires, he'll be second to Barry Bonds, unless something tragic happens. But second to Barry Bonds, maybe even passes Barry Bonds. Because he's been a runner-up a bunch of times, too. I mean, the guy, it's unfortunate that we don't appreciate him enough, but we've basically been seeing one of the best players of all time. And it's just, unlike DiMaggio Mantle, he's just not in the World Series ever. You're not seeing him all the time. But just pure numbers, if you go to his... uh Pro baseball reference, it might swing you because I'm sure people are like, Joe DiMaggio is way better than Trout. He was a better fielder, blah, blah, blah. Um, you know, you, you have an argument there. I, if you told me Joe DiMaggio is ahead of Trout, that's fine. I mean, that's what I had down first too, but that's my, that was my last second switch I made. I'm happy with it. So again, finally, my Rushmore, Mays, Cobb, Mantle, no one's, talking me out of those and then Mike Trout which someone could talk me out of but that's what I have right now so that is my center fielder Rushmore so again thank you uh, Tommy for that question happy birthday all right question number three uh, hey Jim my name is Mike I'm 22 years old I'm a big hall of fame nerd Mike that's perfect for this show uh, during the COVID lockdown, I made 30 to 60 page Google Docs of my personal Hall of Famers for each of the four major sports that I plan to update after every season. Your podcast has helped me keep this project going. I was wondering your thoughts on a few um, candidates that I believe should be in. And then Mike, Mike goes on and, and says a bunch of names here. So uh, Johan Santana, um, Amari Studmeyer, Fred, McGiff, Fred McGriff and Carlos Delgado. Um, so you have all those plays. Then you actually emailed me again and said, I actually, Eli Manning as well. So Mike, I apologize. I'm going to disappoint you a little bit here. Also, I, I looked at your docs. Awesome work. Keep that up. That's so fun. I, I definitely don't agree with your rankings all the time, but um, it looks like actually I didn't finish the whole email finish in a sec, but you don't always agree with me either. And that's fine. That's the beauty of this, right? It's an argument. That's why we do this. Um. I'm not going to go through all these players because all these players are probably going to be an episode um, sometime in the next year or so. And I want to save the full argument for those. And I don't want to reveal it. The only I'll, I'll do one of them um, just because I don't know if I'm going to do these guys anytime soon. I will down the road, but not maybe in the next year. And that's the Fred McGriff and Carlos Delgado um, kind of case. You know, what do I think? I always, I always looked at Fred McGriff as a hall of famer, just because of the 493 home runs, uh, growing up again, if you got in the 500 home run club, you were an automatic hall of famer in my head. And traditionally steroids kind of blew that up. Now there's a bunch of people with over 500 that are not in the hall of fame yet because of steroids, but anyone 
that's above 500 that's been eligible um, that's not linked to steroids is in the Hall of Fame. And I thought being seven off can't keep you out. And then you look at other Fred McGriff stuff, like he was part of that 95 World Series Braves teams, which is very famous, five-time All-Star. Hits numbers, you know, are just under 2,500. He's a great hitter for many years. Great nickname, Crime Dog. Love the nickname. But the thing about Fred McGriff, he never like jumped off the, jumped off the page at you. I mean, he, he played for my cubs for a little bit. He was a consistent guy. He led the league in homers twice, um, which shouldn't be that surprising. I don't know why I said it like that because he's 493 home runs, but you know, he was top 10 MVP voting in, well, actually looking at it five, six seasons. That's pretty good. But I guess when it comes down to it, first base is tough for the hall of fame. I guess that's what I'd say to begin with. I think that's why Fred McGriff's not in. It's not valued very much on the defensive front. So you don't really get helped out um, in terms of like war and things like that. So you really got to be like an all-time hitter, a slugger, all-time slugger, or win a bunch of gold gloves can help. You know, he wasn't the best defensive first baseman, never won a gold glove. His hitting was great, but you know, he wasn't Frank Thomas out there. And that's not fair, right? Frank Thomas is one of the best of all time, but ranking by, you know, analytics here he's ranked the 31st um best first baseman of all time his war numbers peak jaws uh, career war all below what a hall of fame first baseman is and throughout his career for 162 game season 3.5 war per season so mcgriff you know if he makes it i don't think it's it's as as of a travesty as when harold baines was voted in but I don't think he's a hall of famer. Um, I would like to do an episode on him. Talk someone that was maybe around watching him more on those Braves teams, see what their thoughts are, but I would probably have him not in the hall of fame, a very close hall of very good, but he might be like that. He might be the line like better than Fred McGriff in the hall of fame. Like that's how close. So I think he should have got closer uh, than he ever got in the percentages. It'll be interesting if the hall of fame committees ever get him in. I could see it down the line, but Fred McGriff, um, I would say no. And then, you know, if I'm a no for Fred, I'm definitely going to be a no for Carlos Delgado. Not that Carlos Delgado wasn't great. You know, 473 home runs over 2000 hits. He was on those blue Jays teams. And honestly, in the, in the two thousands, like fancy baseball, Carlos Delgado was like first round material every year. You loved him. Uh, you know, he was crushing RBIs. He had 145 in 2003 um, with 42 homers. I mean, he was like, he was second to MVP voting that year. So he had some monster seasons. He just didn't do it um, for, I guess he just didn't do it for long enough. I mean, just over 2000 hits. Again, when we're talking first baseman, you got to be a slugger. Unlike Fred McGriff, who's on the bout forever. Delgado fell off in 2015 right away. I don't think he should have fell off right away, but you know, he only made two all-star teams. That kind of says something. Um, Not that all-star games are everything, but if you're only a two-time all-star, like baseball, you got to be, I think minimum seven, eight all-star teams. Uh, it's my favorite all-star game, by the way, and it's going to be Tuesday. So if you're listening on Monday, it's tomorrow. It's great. I love it. Uh, I feel like you can actually kind of play hard and not worry about getting hurt on like the Pro Bowl and the NBA all-star game, which are kind of a joke. But uh, yeah, two-time all-star, that just, that that almost gives me a no. And then war-wise, 44.4. Yeah, he's nowhere near it. So uh, that's, that's like a really rough Fred McGriff, Carlos Delgado. I, I think no for both. I'd be curious what you think. So if you want to, you know, email me back, feel free to, I want to know what you, if you have a case for one of them and maybe I'll do the episode, um, sometime. That's kind of what I think of them. I'm not going to answer any of the other ones. Those are all great people you threw out there though. I think they all have excellent cases. Um, so I will be on the, be on the lookout for those. I'll probably do most of them, you know, Santana, Studmeyer, um, Manning. I'll probably do all those this year, actually. Maybe I'll get to Delgado and uh, McGriff eventually. So that's the answer to that. And then I didn't finish your email. So you say also for a non-case question, I want to answer this. I, I, I know there's two questions, but I really want to answer it because I think it's a great question. It's fun. Um, is there a player that you really believe should be in the Hall of Fame strictly based on eyeball test? even when the stats or accolades clearly don't match the case. Excellent question. I had like 10 people I want to talk about. 
Uh, however, I don't want to make this too long of a pod today. Um, I know everyone probably has a lot to do. I landed on someone who I probably will never do an episode on, but I test wise, when he came to the NBA first several years, I was like, this guy's a hall of famer. Um, so I want to talk about him now. He's Steve Francis, um, who of course played in the NBA. He was drafted in 99, right after Elton Brand, played for the Rockets uh, during his peak years and then Orlando, and then kind of fizzled out really early. So Steve Francis came on the scene and I thought he was the, like, he was one of those first point guards that was a freak athlete, like dunking on people. Like, again, I was talking about point guards are like Stockton, um, that, you know, they're not dunking on people. They're the, the distributors, all the nineties point guards, distributors. Um, C Francis comes in and he's scoring. He, he has like a 46 inch vertical. He's in the dunk contest. He's throwing the ball down. He's like the go-to score. He makes three all-star teams like right away. And I just thought this is the next guy. He was a freak athlete who I would compare him to in today's game, John Morant. Think of John Morant playing that Steve Francis back, but in the you know early 2000s when no one had seen John Morant, like Russell Westbrook, you know, all the point guards, right? They score now like that. They're freak athletes. Steve Francis was one of those first freak athlete point guards. And he was a monster. And, you know, he averaged a career for his career, 18 points per game, six boards, six assists. Excellent line. He just, um, once he got out of Houston, everything kind of, I, I always heard it was like him and Contino Mobley were like best buds. And when he got, when he got down to Orlando, just Mobley wasn't there and he kind of just fell off. And I think he had some injury problems, some weight problems. And he just never maintained that explosiveness that made him so good, but he really fell off a cliff. And of course, never put up the accolades. I mean, no all NBA teams or anything like that. He won the rookie of the year in 2000, but you know, after, he made his last all-star uh, team at the age of 26. And then the next year he went to Orlando. And he never made an all-star team again. And by the age of 30, he was out of the NBA. He came back for Houston, only playing 10 games, averaged five points per game. He was out by 30. So he really, he's like an NFL running back his career. But when he was, when he was on and he was springy, one of the most talented, fun point guards we've had in the last 20 years. Um, and it stands up today. He would, excel in today's game probably have a better three-point shot than he did back then but steve francis is my eye test not a hall of famer nothing backs that no one can put him in the hall of fame but man did he have hall of fame talent and i could name a ton of these i love that question but i'm gonna stick with steve francis there so um thank you very much for that question questions and again mike i know i didn't answer all of all of the people you threw on here but i will be answering that eventually and keep up those Google Docs. Those are great. I, I love the work you put in there. It's awesome. All right, question number four. Gosh, actually, now that I'm looking at it, it's all like, that's not Rushmore, but it's almost. Dear Jim, so this is a short one. Uh, this is for your mailbag episode. Thanks for clarifying. Um, who is the best power forward in NBA history? Mike. Uh, Mike, this is easy. Uh, so I'm going to talk about the players right behind this person, but the best power forward of all times, Tim Duncan. It's not close. It's really not close. Um, you know, Tim Duncan played for 19 seasons and for 19 seasons averaged 19 points per game, 11 boards, three assists. Um, and I believe two blocks. Let me pull it up real quick. 2.2 blocks. That's for 19 years. Um, 15 time all-star 15 time all NBA 15 time all defensive team member, five NBA championships, three finals MVPs, two regular season MVPs. Uh, people forget how dominant Tim Duncan was. I, I think it's because he played so long. And when he was like 38, 39, he could like, you know, he couldn't do as much. He was still very savvy, still averaged a couple blocks, you know, mid-teens points, around nine, 10 boards. But peak Duncan was a monster Winning five championships and three uh, finals MVPs, it's nothing to, um, you know, not, not like, <laughs> care about. And if you look at, like, his finals runs, like, in 2003, uh, San Antonio won the finals. For 24 games across the playoffs, he averaged 25 points per game, 15 boards, five assists, 3.3 blocks. So that's what he was doing on these championship runs. He was a monster. I don't like, maybe it's because the Spurs, like they don't, 
like pops the head and everyone's a team player and no one's glorified. But if Tim Duncan was on the Knicks and he did all this stuff or in LA or like we'd be talking about Tim Duncan on Rushmore and he probably should be talked about in the conversation. I don't think he is. He's in, I think I have him at seven on my own personal list. I have him above Kobe. Um, I don't think that's crazy. Tim Duncan, all-time power forward. No one's close. Uh, who comes after? There's a big gap. I'm telling you that. It's Charles Barkley and Carl Malone. Um, Carl Malone, you might think of, maybe that was your thought at first, but he's not close to Tim Duncan. Uh, yes, he's all-time or second all-time in career points scored. Uh, he averaged 25 points per game, 10 boards, four assists over his career. That's nice. Two-time MVP. That's great. Uh, 14-time All-Star, 14-time All-NBA. He was nowhere near the defensive player Tim Duncan was. Uh, he put up a lot of stats in the regular season, but in the playoffs, he didn't really show up as well. He showed up, just he didn't He didn't go to another level. If anything, he played around we did in the regular season or worse. Made it only two finals, 97-98, and never won. So when you're talking about Tim Duncan with five championships and three finals MVPs, and then Carmelone with two finals appearances. Again, it's not close. So numbers-wise, was Carmelone a monster? Yes. Was he a better scorer? Yes. But is he a better player than Tim Duncan? No. Not close. Barkley is honestly probably second more to me than Carmelone. You know, he made it to one finals in 93 against Jordan. Again, lost. 11-time All-Star. Uh, 22 points per game, 12 boards, four assists for his career. You know, Barkley freak of nature, probably like six four, six five, but led the league in rebounding in 87, 11-time All-NBA, one of the most fun players we've ever had, one of the most unique players just got by his size and how well he could rebound, how good of a score was, how great of a, he was a great distributor too. He won the MVP regular season in 93 when he averaged uh, 26 points per game, 12 boards and five assists. But the guy averaged 15 boards. Uh, per game in 87 at like six foot five. And this is when every center is like seven one. So uh, I'm super fascinated by Charles Barkley as a player. I wish I um, got to see him play more during his peak. I caught more of his like rockets years, which were, uh, he was a, pretty slow. Then he was getting a little more, uh, he was losing athleticism. But if you look at early Barkley highlights, I mean, it's an, it, it, it's insane. Um I mean, the, the 93 finals run, he's averaging 27 points per game, 14 boards, uh, four assists, two steals, a block. Like, he did it all. He really, without Jordan in his way, the 93 Suns team probably should have won a championship. Uh, but Charles Barkley, probably number two power four, Carmelone three. But Tim Duncan, far and away, number one. Um, it's not close. So, Mike, thank you for sending that question in. And then my last question, number five, um, Jim. Love the podcast. I know you joke about doing a hockey episode, but you should try it. <laughs> Don't worry, not a hockey question. Thank God. But still, bring Neil Payne on to do one with you. He seems up for it. Uh, Neil Payne definitely does seem up for it. Uh, so so I will keep that in mind, and I will do one one day. But thanks for not sending me a hockey question. I think I would have had to prep a little more uh, for, for that one than anything else. Anyway, I'm a big New York Giants fan. Who would you say the top five players? Okay, you cheated here, so I'm not doing a rush more. I'm doing five players now. Who are the top five players in New York Giants history? Keep up the good work, Kyle. All right, Kyle. Um, I don't think about Giants football all the time, but number one in the top five, I'll rank them too, not just who named top five players. I'll rank them. Uh, I'll go number one first, and I'll go backwards. That seems weird. Actually, I'll go number five first, and I'll go down to one. That seems more natural. Number five, I actually like went deep into this because a lot of people came into mind that actually I didn't put on here. I was like, Tiki Barber, top five guy? No, definitely not. When you really look at Giants history, you guys got some great, great all-time players. And all these players I'm going to name, actually four of the five are Hall of Famers, one's not yet. Number five, I'm picking Rosie Brown. Yes, I'm going left tackle. One of the earlier Giants, he played from 53 to 65, but he was a part of that 1956 championship team. And he was a nine-time Pro Bowler, six-time All-Pro, one of the better tackles in NFL history and one of the great, like, early tackles in NFL history. 
Um, Rosie probably couldn't play in today's game because he was like 255 pounds, which back then was enormous. And today would be uh, like small for a linebacker somehow or something like that. So um, couldn't play in today's game, but Rosie Brown, like all-time guy. And and all these players, the one thing consistent, they're all champions. I I was not going to name a Giants player that at least won one championship, Super Bowl, et cetera. So Rosie Brown's number five, shout to left or to tackles. I always want to give credit to offensive linemen when I can. Um, they do not get enough credit and they play such an important role. Uh, number four on this list is going to be Frank Gifford. Just because, again, I'm going really back in Giants history. I don't know if that's what you're looking for, Kyle, but I got to. Frank, Frank Gifford, uh, playing the NFL when you kind of could play like all different kinds of positions. He was an eight-time Pro Bowler, four-time All-Pro, 77 career touchdowns. But if you look up his like football reference, he played at some point or another, halfback, flanker, defensive back, and wide receiver. And his stats for his career are hilarious. So 3,600 rushing yards with 34 rushing touchdowns, 5,400 receiving yards with 43 touchdowns, also threw for 823 yards and 14 touchdowns. So he was throwing the ball too, not a quarterback, but a lot of halfback passes, trick plays. Also made two field goals, 10 extra points, 25 punt returns, 23 kick returns. He also had two interceptions, when he played DB early in his career and he was a part of that 1956 championship team that Rosie Brown was on, but he won the MVP of that award. He was also named the pro bowl at three different positions, defensive back, halfback and flanker, which I think super impressive. And I thought this stat was really fun too. In 53, when he was playing two ways, he averaged 50 minutes per game. So he's pretty much on the field his entire, uh, the entire game, which nowadays seems impossible and in that 56 championship game where he won MVP at four catches for 131 yards and a touchdown, five carries for 30 yards when the Giants spanked the, my Chicago Bears 47 to seven in that championship game. So Frank Gifford's number four. Number three's by far my most controversial because these other four guys are all Hall of Famers already. This guy was brought up earlier, actually. So a lot of, a lot of bleed over between these questions, but this guy was brought up as... We should do a, a pot of fame episode on him. It's Eli Manning. Yes, I know. Eli Manning over Frank Gifford and Rosie Brown. That's probably not settling well with a lot of Giants fans. I'm not a Giants fan, so forgive me, but this is why. Four-time Bro Bowler, not that exciting, but two-time Super Bowl champ, two-time Super Bowl MVP. He's the only player in your team's history with two Super Bowl MVP awards, okay? Not many players in NFL history have two Super Bowl MVP awards. He does. And two of the most memorable Super Bowls of recent to, to date, right? He beat he beat the, I believe the Giants are the team that beat that undefeated Brady team that year that was undefeated until the Super Bowl. But he's also eighth in career passing yards, ninth in career passing touchdowns, 11th in career game-winning drives. People shit on Eli Manning. Eli Manning has a Hall of Fame level career. Now, did I say he's in the Hall of Fame? No, I haven't said that yet. But in Giants history, your two-time MVP champ of Super Bowls. Yes, he's a top five guy in Giants history because of the postseason success. I don't know. If you hate that, email me back, tweet at me. I could be really wrong there. Eli Manning, though, to me, deserves to be on this list. And my two and one, these were easier for me. Michael Strahan, you might know him from TV today. Back in the day, he actually was a really good football player. You know, seven-time Pro Bowl four-time All-Pro, 2001 Defensive Player of the Year. I think most of us think of him because he set the sack record for most sacks in a season with 22 and a half in 2001. Even though Brett Favre kind of just fell over, he still holds the record in the books. Led the league in sacks twice during his career, 141.5 sacks for his career. He's in the Hall of Fame, of course, and won um, the Super Bowl in 2008 against the Patriots, 17 to 14, where he had a sack. And yes, that broke up the Patriots' undefeated season looking at now. He was 36 that year. He had six seasons with over 10 plus sacks. So Michael Strand is my number two guy. And my number one guy, this is not shocking to anyone. This guy could be on football Mount Rushmore. Depends on what you value most, but it's LT, Lawrence Taylor, possibly the greatest defender in NFL history. I, I think I would have Reggie White ahead of him, but he's probably number two in my list. Um, but he's a no-brainer for number one, 10-time Pro Bowler, eight-time All-Pro, one-time MVP, two-time Super Bowl champ, three-time Defensive Player of the Year, 132.5 career sacks, 
He had 20.5 sacks in 86, seven seasons with 10 plus sacks and 8.5 playoff sacks. Lawrence Taylor, one of the most like, intimidating players of all time, was in the backfield at all times, would just throw people. Uh, terrifying player on defense. And Clay's, of course, played for those great Super Bowl Giants teams in the 80s. Uh, when I think of Giants football, I do think of Lawrence Taylor first. Uh, his number, him on in, in the backfield, that middle linebacker. You know, Mike, or no, I'm sorry, not middle linebacker, outside linebacker. Uh, Lawrence Taylor, th- that's a shoe in I, I doubt you were questioning that one, but hopefully the other four, maybe three off a little bit. If I, if, if you were, I, I can't imagine taking any of those guys off for Tiki, Tiki Barber or, or Tittle. I mean, the only person, Sam Huff probably has a really good case. Um, but I, I like that five it's different time periods. Like you had the eighties championship teams with Lawrence Taylor. You have the two thousands with Michael Strahan. Then later on with Eli, of course, Frank Gifford and Rosie from the fifties championship teams. I like it. It's a good mix of them. So hopefully no one's getting too mad at me. If you're a New York and a Giants fan, uh, Jets fan, sorry, maybe we'll do a rush more next time you or top five next time. You gotta, you gotta message me though. I can only, I can only do what I'm emailed or message. So that's on you all, but everyone, those are the five questions. That's the mailbag episode. I really enjoyed this. I, I'm going to do this every so often. Um, I, I, I really, again, as I said, at the beginning of the pod, I appreciate all the support of the last year. Uh, I appreciate the kind words from all of you. Again, I just asked for questions and people were writing me very nice notes. Uh, I had some others I didn't read, but uh, thank you all. And again, if I didn't get to your question, I apologize. I, I didn't want to make this like a two hour thing, especially when it's just me. I think that's tough. So I want to limit to five. I thought those were good questions, covered different sports. Um, if I didn't read your question, please, you know, if I do this again, send it in again. I'll try to get to it. Um, but thank you for everyone that wrote in. Thank you for listening. I'm so excited to see where the next year grows and where we're going to be at, uh, after two years at this, how many listeners we'll have, if we're get Antarctica, maybe I'll, maybe I'll send someone down to Antarctica just to listen to the podcast down there to, to, to pump my ratings up, uh, pump my numbers up, kind of cheat a little bit there, but, um, hopefully get all 50 States by the end of this year, um, and keep adding countries, but Thank you all for listening. Normal episode, of course, will be next Monday. But appreciate you kind of sticking around for the mailbag episode. And we will talk to you next Monday. Thanks a lot. And the world's gonna know your name.